0: Welcome to Changemaker Rehab. Changing the world is exhilarating and overwhelming. Join me, Heather McDougall, as I host bold leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and changemakers on the front lines of the world's most pressing challenges, discover what it means to be empowered by your mission rather than consumed by the magnitude of the problem you're trying to solve. Together, step by step, we stand on the legacy of others and create the world we dream about. Welcome, Jenny, to Change Maker Rehab. Thank you so much for joining us all the way from Kenya. Hello. Yes. It has been such a long, well, not
1: too long of a time, but when you told me you were starting the podcast, I was so excited to be invited. So I'm glad to be here.
0: I mean, so Jenny and I met, well, time, time is so weird, right? We met, Time is what weird. year was it? 28? Yeah, it was 2018 yellow conference. I think I was just looking at yep. those photos the other day.
1: Because Sophie was like six weeks old. She's now about to turn four. So
0: yes, it was awesome. But we had booths together at yellow conference in Los Angeles, or they're right next to each other. And it was so awesome. And we've stayed in touch and are just, I feel like on the same energetic soul path of sustainable development in our own unique ways, of course, but to just, we'll learn about your story as we go. I'm so curious. First question, like, what is your, what's your dream? Or what's your passion for the world?
1: Oh man, um, I would say my passion is just to cultivate change makers, to understand that they they can leverage good in this world. That um, I think a lot of us, uh, we believe these lies and we're not even realizing we're believing lies that we're not good enough. I'm mainly right, known as the founder and CEO of Imani Collective, which we will talk about. But I think through that journey and my journey as a social impact leader and change maker, I just have gone through that. And I just feel that that is my goal and now passion and dream to make sure others don't feel alone and continue to cultivate that community of change makers that they that we can come together that um, we can share ideas that we can cheer each other on you know and collaborate all across the world I think we're only better together and so I just think if we realize that that we are more of this global community and so that has been through my journey over the last really decade 15 years yeah crazy that makes me feel old
0: (laughs) I know time again time is such a funny thing it's like oh whoa I was just having a conversation with someone the other day and realizing I like Graduated from uh, law school like 17 years ago, somehow. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in any case, yes, cultivating change makers. I totally feel you on that. Even through my journey with, of course, through Bogo Brush and social entrepreneurship, and then meeting folks from all around the world who are doing change. I agree. There are so many stories, like you said, that we believe, even things like in my world, I often talk about, well, there's like climate anxiety or eco anxiety or magnitude anxiety the the fears that we are fed that that are not unjustified about the state of the world or state of our community whatever it is but how in your journey we'll definitely get into a money collective but i'm so curious because you are based in Kenya. I'm also interested, how do you see this, that kind of what I call magnitude anxiety come up for especially the people that you are working with and inspiring there through Imani Collective and the teams you're building?
1: Yeah, so I'm based in Mombasa, Kenya. I have been working here in and out since 2009, but living here full-time for now 10 years. What's What's been interesting being, you know, being based here and trying to figure out what is my footing and what am I, where am I equipped to come and actually create this ripple effect of change? I think the beauty of looking around in a community is they're already in, truly, most of the time, humans are already empowered in some way they just don't know it's deep within them and it's how do how can we come alongside and make that shine i think for me it's never been like i'm coming to create something like we've always done that together and so being able to come alongside and listen to the community i always talk about radically listening and i think a lot of people just don't feel heard enough um and that there's amazing ideas already out there it's just how can we leverage those and create Organized systems around them to see them be successful um and so yeah that's what we've done in Imani and Mombasa and Imani Collective in Kenya as we are in Mombasa and then have you know we work up in the northern region in Turkana Serve so over 140 artisans and staff now which um is mind-blowing sometimes I'm like oh wow we started with like 16 of us um and it's yeah, it's really, really crazy. But I think it's just been beautiful to see. It's not my show or the Jenny show, right? It's I just like to sit in the background and behind the scenes and really watch our leaders shine and create and just coming along and supporting and making sure that we're still following our vision and our core values and where we're going, but really putting that in the local community's hands. So a lot of people ask me, well, then why are you here? Um, Because the reality is I don't necessarily need to be based in Kenya. I love but I do love and have the privilege of being side by side with our artisans. And I think it really gives me that energy and really connects me to my why. My husband does a lot of other projects as well that um, keeps us here a little bit more so than Amani, but we have an amazing team that's developed now. So I could easily work from the States and just travel, but I really love that. I get to raise my kids in this culture as well, and that they get to experience being a third culture kid and what that
0: looks like. So many directions to (laughs) Go. Maybe just briefly, I know you've kind of touched on it, but Imani Collective, just touch briefly on maybe what was your inspiration or how did you choose Imani Collective to be sort of the vehicle that you would at least start your change making? And of course, it's evolved as it's gone.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, as... One flaw or mistake that we do, uh, I feel, in the change maker world is that sometimes we don't think long term. We're driven by passion. And out of passion, we have this beautiful wonder and naiveness that pushes us into a community or to start something. And we start to see gaps and we want to create. And then we, um, the Western side of us just moves very, very, very quickly. um, And it's not necessarily like just being present with the culture and understanding it. And so we see a lot of hurt that comes out of really starts with pure intentions, but, you know, potentially see hurt in a community when there's not sustainability. And so to give a background of Amani, we started out as a training program, specifically working with single and widowed dis- and disadvantaged women in a very small village. And I lived out in this village. Um, how I got connected to them is I was part of a you know community service project in 2009, working within a school. And as I was building child sponsorships, I was in their homes and meeting these women. And over those four years, I developed these relationships. And what I kept seeing is like, okay, we have all of these school sponsorships and we have all these things for the kids, but what about that next generation? Like if we're truly wanting to break this generational cycle of poverty, we have to reach the people who are, can start that ripple effect and change the mindset mindsets of the young kids. So yes, sponsoring the kid in school is great, but if their parents don't value education because they were never educated themselves, then eventually they're just going to follow that same path. So how about reconnects and reconnects with the women and, and actually sit in their homes and ask them, what do they want? And so that was my drive. And my passion was sitting there and being like, what do you want? Like if you got the opportunity to learn, to write, to read. Like, would you want that? And the the answer to that question was like an a yes across the board. But the the hesitancy with that answer was well, I'm just too old, or that's not was ever was ever expected to me, or I don't deserve it, I'm not enough. So like, it was just this like, not belief in themselves, they never had someone cheering them on. And you got to see most of these mothers were, you know, could be anywhere early 20s, like 23, 24, all the way to early 30s. And, and in that range, and they just thought it it was too late for them to have the opportunity. So as we started out as that training program, how we became a money collective. So if you look at us now, we are a global home decor brand, ethical impact brand, and have grown exponentially over the last three years and and how we partner with different businesses and collaborate and bring really cool elevated goods into homes. And we do. Oh, not they're look gorgeous. Like in- <laughs> Everybody go
0: look at them. They're so gorgeous. Anyway, sorry to yeah, interrupt you, we, but I have to like plug no. them.
1: <laughs> yeah. And we don't look like we're made in Kenya. And I think for me, that was the hardest part of the transition when we transitioned to our new brand in 2017, because I always felt like, well, our story has to be told. Our story has to be told. And trust me, our story is told beautifully through our products. I just never thought of being innovative in that way. I always thought it had to look like where it came from. And so, but my, my biggest change and where what got us to where we are today was changing my mindset to a sustainable mindset of like, if we don't create a product that is actually going to be competitive, then the impact is going to dissipate. It's not going to be there anymore. And the reality of like, I had, we, we are a hybrid model. So we run as a nonprofit and a for-profit, but I had to change my nonprofit mind of like, the story always has to be told. The story always has to be told because if you go and you radically listen to, and you sit with our women, they could truly care less if their story is told. They just want a, an amazing, consistent paycheck, you know, mm-hmm. and I think we just we just put that on a pedestal of like impact has to be told in this way and i I am all about ethical impact storytelling and making sure the woman is known like you will know that on all of our products, so I do not take that lightly, but we also have to know that we gotta create something that is that is against competitive and sustainable. that we can continue to grow that impact. And I would say that's what really shifted changing from this nonprofit crisis management mindset to let's build something that's sustainable. And that's going to be long lasting for generations far after I leave the country.
0: We've talked of course, about sustainable development several times. And so I resonate so much with what, what you're saying. And one of these things that you're talking about, radically listening, I love that so, so much. Whenever I've gone into other communities around the world, you know, I've lived around the world, which is Connected me to communities that I never would have imagined. But same for me is especially through Bogo Brush at the earlier parts of my career when we were making impact and donations. It was going into these communities where we were developing relationships through sales. That was always how we did it. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. have we developed a a sales relationship right in the Maldives or in somewhere in Europe? Like, let's go there and understand what is a sustainable development need there not just me prescribing something but that mm-hmm. listening component I and not just listening to hear what we want to hear and I always tell myself exactly one rule like do not make assumptions it's impossible because we are humans and that's what we do but by putting that so front and center and I love what you're saying about that and these women like do they want their story told well Yes, of course, like that's so important to know and on all of the products I know there's always like a name written on the tags Mm -hmm. or who did it through Amani Collective I love that I have like a little llama that hangs on my doorknob and (laughs) see it all the time but I think that's just such a beautiful part is like and but what do they really want? they want sustainability for their life and for their family and a paycheck. so how do we get out of our sense of needing to fulfill a narrative around oh our impact has to include XYZ type of story and really actually contributing to the needs and the desires of the people that we are we're serving and something that kind of comes up for me and people ask about it is is one of the narratives that's out there is the saviorism narrative and And I think wherever you are in the world, no matter what community it is, like this is something that is a good thing to be aware of, but also it can plague us, right? It can hold us, hold us back. So I'm curious, what has been your experience with that narrative, like nobody needs anyone to come in and save them or to feel like they can't help themselves and you know this gets talked about in all kinds of conversations from racism to uh Mm -hmm. colonialism to all everything but just (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious like what has been your experiences or how have you kind of navigated that storyline yeah no I love touching on this um I would say when I first
1: came to Kenya in 2009 I wasn't even aware of what that was and then I had these weird feelings when I was in my like 10 day trip or whatever and I was like deconstructing these feelings of like okay I'm going into this village I'm like meeting with these families and then I'm going back to this hotel and like have a buffet dinner and like this like disparity and like now when I look back I can totally pinpoint the emotions I was going through but it's the first time I was like overwhelmed experiencing that right at like 17 18 years old so when I you know when I talk about this to people I think it's a matter of perspective and how you're going into a culture you have to understand that when you are in a western point of view. You're in a first world country, no matter what, if you're walking into a third world country, you are always at a state of privilege, no matter if you are in a low income state, like, especially if you're coming from the United States and you might be on like a lower income paycheck, whatever that might be for you, you are still going to be in a privileged spot because you are an American and you have to acknowledge that. And you have to make sure you're not playing victim or any of that. Like your struggle, you might have struggles in your life, but comparative to The country that you are stepping into with corruption and all the stuff that happens in the back end that you do not know or, or will not most likely experience in 10 days in whatever that trip is. Like, that's what's happening. So it's the first of acknowledging that you are coming from, you have to just clear your mind in that. And I think the perspective shift has to always has to be that. You are not coming to say like the whole white saviorism. You're not coming to save someone. You're not coming to create something. You're not coming to build something like you're not coming to create or even what I say, like create change in their life. They are very capable of doing that, which you what your perspective should be in that radically listening is yes, not having assumptions, but coming in with this conscious perspective of you are a foreigner of their country and you are sitting there listening and respecting their culture and just immersing yourself into in it so you can understand it better now being a foreigner and a resident and almost in a citizenship process of kenya Mm. i will always be an outsider even if kenya kenya is my home it is my home and i've almost spent half of my life in kenya so like it is to always be, when I walk out of my house to be like, welcome to Kenya. Like I get that every day, (laughs) like no matter where (laughs) I'm at, like you can't be frustrated. You can't be frustrated with that. Like people like, and my, to shift someone's mindset of you is the people that you work closely with. So there might be frustrations that you deal with all throughout the whole day, but you cannot, you cannot get upset at someone that that is generations of again, assumptions on, on you and who you are and how they put you in a box. And if you are ever going to step into something or live overseas, you have to learn how to have grit and tenacity and patience with like mm-hmm. what's happening around you. And when you start to lose that patience or you get irritable, then you should, be in that country anymore or you're on the brink of burnout and you need to go rest and like because then you are not good you were just not good to be there because what you're outputting what you're radiating on a day-to-day is not what people need you know it takes a lot of grace and patience and love and so for my experiences like and what i've learned is when i was young i would get i would get frustrated at all these like preconceived notions of just who who i was as a as a white woman and people expecting I had tons of money and like all of, you know, all of that. But Mm -hmm. again, the reality is I have a lot more than they ever will or ever, ever had. And, you know, and all of that, just again, acknowledging I am privileged and I did get this kind of birth lottery and I have to acknowledge that and be grateful for it and then understand what I'm stepping into and what is my, what is the place here? And I, I really had to learn that again, it's, it's again, listening to their I- ideas and doing it together. I think when you build something together, there's a respect that you have to one another. And people always ask me, why did you move to the village? When I started Imani Collective, I intentionally chose to live below means of some of my women so that they saw that I was not better than them. Mm-hmm. And that I lived side by side with them in the village. And they taught me how to live just as I was teaching them how to sew. So there was this mutual respect. One another that I wasn't just entering into their space every day and then going back to a compound and into a nicer place or a city, but that I was I was their next door neighbor and cooking over the a fire, having chai with them in the morning. That there's this mutual yeah mutual respect that needs to be built in that. And then if you can immerse yourself in that level, it changes. It changes the narrative and how people view you. So that would be my 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 I guess opinion yeah. on white of just how you can start to try to deconstruct it, but you also have to acknowledge that you're only one and you can only give so much and not everyone knows your heart and your intentions, So you're still going to face the battle of again, what people view you every day. And you have to be, you have to be okay with that, that you're living in another, like a country, not of your own. Even if you call it home, it's still not of your, it's not your, you know, your birth country and you just have to You have to be okay with that.
0: Yeah, I'm just so grateful for you sharing your perspectives on it. I've, I mean, I've lived in other countries, but also countries where I had, I mean, privilege follows us wherever Mm -hmm. we go, especially as Americans or anytime you come from anywhere. But like I lived in Abu Dhabi, which especially for a Westerner, there's still like tons of privilege uh different levels of privilege you know even as an american like there's slightly different things you can do versus not do but still i haven't immersed myself lifelong in a drastically different yeah, I guess I'll say culture, although every culture is so mm-hmm. is so different. But one of the things that I have learned, even on like recurring trips back to places where I'm building relationships is, yeah, it's it, to me, it comes from if, if the th- if the intention is coming from like, oh, I'm doing this to like help myself feel better. I'm helping I'm doing something to exactly. get rid of a guilt uh, that I feel for privilege, which has never been my perspective. But that's also and a I question. I would
1: challenge that like too, in the sense of like, if you're doing it so that other people are patting you on the back, I didn't even talk about that. Like, but if your intention is for you to raise in that and to people to say, Oh my gosh, Jenny, great job. You're doing such a great job. Like that that's actually a really hard compliment for me to take. Cause I'm like, but my team, you know, like it's not me, it's them. And so I think even if you're doing it for your power your back, or you're doing it mm-hmm. to, to fill this fulfillment, then you really need to check yourself because that's not the right intention. And that will not, you as a leader will not last long-term because that fulfillment will not last long-term. It is so much yeah. deeper than that. And you're going to have really shitty days and you need to figure out how you're going to get past those days and having that sense of fulfillment. If that's all that's, that's leading you in that. Yeah. You're gonna burn out so quickly. And I see that all the time, you know, people in and out um, yeah. of the country. And, and again, it only hurts the communities, you know, there's so much
0: to learn, right. And we all, right. of us, we, we can, no matter where you're from, wherever in the world, whether you are, yeah, it doesn't even matter. Everybody makes mistakes. So it's like, we have to just step forward, especially if we're trying to create positivity in, in the world and learn. But I think it's not to say that anybody's like trying to be bad by having that. But I just think exactly that if, if there's a guilt that you're trying to heal, or you're trying to do something to like, feel better about yourself, like that's a big red flag. Like you got to figure out something in yourself. (laughs) You can't, you can't seek that anywhere. You can't seek a Mm -hmm. a solution that anywhere and and meeting people and to me it's like this I just have such a desire and well first of all belief that I mean we all come from the same source the planet humans we're we're literally all one. And the ways that we can continue to live more sustainably as humans on this planet is by recognizing our connection to everything and all things and mm-hmm. all humans. And so for me, like sustainable development is, as I look at it, it, I see it through you as well. There's, there's a, an innate sense of like, oh, I want to learn and I want to offer myself to help the world. But if I'm not invited into a community or open, then it's not my place to come and I need Mm -hmm. to just like accept that and I've been welcomed and not welcomed not in bad ways or good ways it's just sometimes Mm -hmm. they don't there's nothing right it's just an opportunity to learn and that's where I think you're listening and so those are for me my two I always call them like rules do your very best to not make assumptions and then also don't offer solutions unless Mm -hmm. you're explicitly invited exactly I teach a
1: social work leadership class and I teach and I coach. Uh, You know, I coach many social entrepreneurs, and I'm like, I always also talk about lean startup. Like, don't create a program. You might have an amazing program, but don't create a program on top of an assumption if you've never gone in the community and asked if they want it. It is a simple business principle. You know, it's simple, like supply and demand. If there is no demand for it, then do not supply it. Like, so yes, you might have you might have an amazing program that's going to do counseling and like treatment centers for you know drug abuse, whatever it might be. But if that community doesn't want to accept it, you have to be okay with it so lean startup like 101 like don't start it until you actually ask your customer you can apply that across the board yeah. to like organizations and nonprofits and all of that and i find and another thing i always live on is this quote that like we do not do good because it's easy we do good because it's right and so if you are wanting to do something that's like an easy button to, again to get the fulfillment the pat on the back like that's not why we do good and i totally am on the same page with you i believe we are all innately good like we are born with that and we just live in a very corrupt world that molds us in different ways as we mature and get older, but it is inside of us. I know it is And like, there's just all of those elements. So we might have the beautiful, the best intention, but if you, you've got to ask the people, because I I've seen it over and over again, like perfect example is like gardens being built in Northern Turkana and like people not really wanting gardens and literally like oh, the no. UK coming in and building these gardens so that they would have food, like sustainable food source, but they didn't realize like, goats are really seen as like very, like a privilege to have goats. So what these the Takrana people will do is they'll just open the gates to their garden and feed their garden to the goats. They won't have mm. it. And so then these people will come back and be like, where did all the gardens go? And they're like, you know like because they're not listening to the people and so they're getting all of this funding and NGO funding to build these like sustainable gardens setting it up for a week leaving and then coming back and like the garden is nothing so it's like a perfect like fail of like you know what they thought is like really good intention of providing food and these people are like that's not what we want. You know, that's, that's not what we're asking for, Um, but they never took the time to listen. So, and I can name a million other examples, you know, but that's just like a really quick one.
0: So here, as we kind of like round the corner (laughs) into the last few, few minutes, I'm thinking of maybe we just even touch on what is one of the biggest maybe barriers that you faced when, could be like when you getting started or if there's something that you recently went through, but just as a founder, as a leader, what's something that we've been talking a lot about evolution and growth, but I'm curious, like my mind's kind of thinking about how you actually got set up and like, how did you overcome something at those mm. early stages? But there might've been something like a transitional moment more recently too, that you moved through things like so, that? So
1: fun fact, I have, I just finished my doctorate. I actually will be headed in a couple of weeks, but I finished it earlier this year. And my research was focused on global social enterprise. And I interviewed global social entrepreneurs across the world and what their challenges were with implementing change in their social enterprise, because I knew just from experience of like what I felt and the tension points. I'm like, surely across the board, these people are experiencing the same thing. And it really lands in several, like several pots, like, right. We have human capital and in the three capital resources, we're always looking at human capital, financial capital and social capital. And I think- It completely aligns also with my story of like, when you are starting like social capital, like you lack networks, you lack financial resources, and you also, you know, you just lack the human resources of a team because you're wearing Mm -hmm. all the hats. And so that is if you are feeling that you are not alone because my research, even accredited, like it's, <laughs> it is like, it's there. That's what these people are struggling with too. or struggle with. And I would say for me, it was also one pushing to the point of understanding, really understanding my number, like in a business point, like I needed to understand and be able to financial storytell just as much as I knew I could storytell my impacts. And I think as the quote unquote, like social entrepreneur or a change maker, we're so driven with that again, drive and passion that that is is the forefront that we actually don't really look at kind of that foundational, like what's what's running this, what's the vehicle that's mm-hmm. running this and cre- creating that cyclical, like sustainability. We are not looking at that until we're filled and we're just constantly in that crisis. Right. And so I think my biggest, one of my biggest points was realizing, okay, we do need to, as I mentioned earlier, change to that mindset and create a product that's going to sell and stop selling our sto- story first. Our story comes second. It will only make, it will only make the sale greater once the people are attracted by a product. And then they hear, oh, It has impact. That's awesome. I will, this is not a hard key stat, but I'm pretty sure about 80% of people who find us on through our Instagram do not know we're an impact centric brand until after they've received the products. That Mm -hmm. is most of the feedback we get. And that's like where we are now as a brand. When you look back of where we were, you know, 2015, 2016, like pre the rebrand that we did to what we are now, most people came to us because they knew the impact and then they would, okay, let me buy a product. I called them my pity purchases. Cause they're like, Oh, I really like the impact. So let me buy this product. Yeah. But I, I was like, we totally have to flip that. Like you got to create something that's competitive. That's quality. That's consistent. And in Africa specifically that when I would go to wholesale shows, no one wanted to buy it. Like, Oh, you're in Kenya. Oh, you're in Africa. I don't buy from Africa because they're always inconsistent. They don't deliver quality. Mm-hmm. And they just like, they're, they're just not good to work with. Like that's the stigma. And I was like, we are going to break that stigma. We're going to be on time. We're going to create quality and they're going to want to work with us. like. And I wanted to break that stigma on the customer side. I also wanted to break the stigma on the artisan side of making sure I was caring for them because in a, you know, I work in an artisan world and, the pro, and most brands pay per piece. And I never wanted to pay per piece because that wasn't creating consistent salary income for them. Mm. And so I always committed from the very beginning to pay monthly salaries, no matter the sales coming in. Now, that was a big risk, and it caused yeah. a lot of like gray hairs later and a lot of stress. <laughs> but the reality of that is my artisans have all always paid i've never missed a month over month in the last ten years, and so they mm. and as we've grown that, and so that creates programs that we can come around with them, right, where we can create financial financial planning and they can, they can truly plan because it's not like one month, I'm going to pay them $3 and another month I'm going to pay them $400 because I'm basing it off a sale. Right. And so it always creates, creates consistency on that side. And so our biggest dilemma was, I think knowing that we weren't, that it wasn't just again, a craft or it wasn't just a product, like you're developing A brand and people follow brands because there's trust and credibility there. And and you have to be patient because to build a brand takes time as well. And I think we become impatient in that process as well. Mm -hmm. But there has to be quality around it. We can't forget the quality and we can't we can't cut corners, which a lot of times we want to cut corners. Um, but once you do that, you know, those those resources grow. Like once you continue to push in, right? Your your social capital is gonna grow because you're continuing to rub shoulders and make networks, and it just takes time, and I think that's that's the hardest part is, is being in that journey. The, the the traditional statistic, right? Of a startup is when you start a business, it takes three to five years to actually be profitable in a business. When you're starting a social impact business, it takes eight to 10 years. And mm-hmm. I will let you know, we, we had our break even year on our eighth year. And so we're going into our next year will be 10 years. So it, we fit the statistic. Like it's very much, it takes time because you're, you're really focusing on impact and impact yeah. is big, but it, it changes your bottom line when you have impact to a business.
0: That was similar for us on that too, which Mm -hmm. is the cool thing, right? We start these, our businesses for so many reasons for us. One of them was we wanted to help. We want to help redefine the economy, you know, and Mm -hmm. that does take a level of patience and want to infuse different values into the dollars people are spending. But Mm -hmm. I think such awesome, like just not even nuggets, but huge, massive things of value, even on like what you're talking about, the product itself has to have value. I think we've seen that shift in across all of the like social, social entrepreneurship spaces is like how finding the right blend of our story and our product. And the, even in like the venture capital space, that's really the big movement is the product has to lead but the stories there. And I love imagining the customers when they open an Imani collective package and they like discover how beautifully like made it is by these beautiful women and people and all of that story. It's like Daniel Pink talks about sometimes we need to incentivize with like a surprise carrot. And that to me Mm -hmm. just feels like the most beautiful surprise. And I want to comment one other thing on that, as I also love your focus always on the women and that by having a consistently beautiful, valuable product, it also reflects how amazing and valuable they innately are right? So it all comes together. And they take
1: take so much pride in that, right? They really thoroughly love that you guys enjoy their product. Like they thoroughly Mm -hmm. love that. And I think like you're saying, yeah, that surprise. I think that's what creates are such a high returning customer rate because once they also have that cherry on top of knowing that they're part of an impact business that they had no idea they were in the beginning, they tell people about it. And I think that's been our greatest tool in growing our marketing. And in the last three years going from, you know, I mean, when we first rebranded in 2017, we had 900 followers on Instagram and we organically grew that to 18,000. And then in the last year, we now have over, I think, now we're at like forty three thousand or over forty thousand, so that's a lot amazing. of amazing, yeah. And that's for us; it's a high conversion rate on our social and what's happening there. And we get to really story tell there and share amazing products. So I think, yeah, you have to. It all goes together; it all ties together really nicely.
0: Everything, gosh. Well, Jenny, thank you so 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 much. I know we'll have more conversations, and we can like figure out. Yeah, what all comes next, whether it's on this space or in something else, but we'll put it in the link below. But is there like a great place or two where people could, can follow you because you have such awesome leadership stuff that I really want people to follow, as well as then um, Imani Collective?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow Imani Collective, Imani, I M A N I Collective on um, Instagram. And then for me, I do a lot of coaching and consulting and really fun stuff. So Jenny Nuccio, J E N N Y. N-U-C-C-I-O. <laughs> sounds like cappuccino. Um, You can find me on Instagram. So I'm really active there and um have some freebies. You guys can get on their newsletter and I'm always updating. I'll be doing actually some fun retreats next year for people to come together. And there's just always fun stuff as I'm just, my desire, like when you first started, first started mm-hmm. this interview of like, my desire is for people to be connected and to get together and grow with one another. And so I think as me... That's just what I want to encompass when people come into my little sphere. Um, I want you to feel that and I want you to feel connected and yeah, that I'm there for you. So
0: while you do it, you radiate it. I love the evolution and the growth and I can't wait, can't wait to keep learning and like supporting and following along. So thank you so, so much, Jenny. Yeah. Thanks for having me.